Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, it's really great to be back with everyone here. Last week, I was only here virtually. Pastor Doug, every once in a while, brings me back for disciplinary reasons to Mississauga, so I had to be there and put the reins on. No, we, we wanted to make sure that if you weren't with us last Sunday, we had a really neat baptism story that we got to share and just kind of weave into the Sunday morning as we were talking about how we want to be engaged on this adventure in seeing people's lives change and turn around as they encounter the love of Jesus Christ. And we wanted to make sure that we videoed that in, so Pastor Doug said, why don't you just come and you can share in the message there, and then you can still be here, but you can uh, video it in. So thank you for allowing me to go back for one week, but it's good to be here in the right portico, and it's uh, not, the, not that other portico place. So <laughs> the 11 uh, pastors on staff, if, if you are visiting with the church, we have three different campuses, and we're all one church, one message. We just have many different expressions. So every Sunday, the service looks and feels uh, the service looks the same, the message, the content is the same, it just feels a little bit different, and we think we, we think we have the best expression here, and we just talk about that very, very proudly and loudly, and we tell the other campuses that too, and uh, they're, they're just jealous of, of what we have going on out here, but, but I was able to travel with the 11 pastors that are a part of Portico to, to Israel, and it was an amazing team experience. We got to spend 10 days, and uh, we shared some of those pictures and highlights last week but it really helped to put into context much of what we teach and what we read about in the Bible. And there was, there was one particular day, we were in Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, just that little seven-kilometer-wide lake where much of Jesus' ministry was. And it's where, it's where Jesus stayed for most of the time. He was, uh, his hometown, many of us would know, would be in Nazareth, but he was living in this little town called Capernaum, and he stayed with one of his friends, Peter. And we were, we were being toured by this, by this Jewish guide, and he had, had, he had a multitude of faiths in his background. He was raised Jewish. He came to faith in, in Christ, but then has since kind of been a little bit walking away from that. But he, he gave us great insights into, um, into kind of the, the subtleties of what we may not read when we read the Bible because of just culture and because of what was, what was going on. And as Jesus was teaching in Capernaum, the house was right next door to the tabernacle where they would have met, or right next door to the synagogue where they would have met and uh, Jesus would have been regularly teaching. And nobody in any of Israel questioned whether Jesus was this great Bible teacher. They, 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 they questioned how a guy from Nazareth in the region up in Galilee, how this guy who, who wasn't chosen to become one of the great leaders, they, they questioned where he got this knowledge from, but the, they understood him to be a great teacher. But this was a boy that they, that they watched grow up, and they watched go through rabbinical school. Every Jewish male goes and studies in rabbinical school for a couple years. Some go on, and that becomes their life. Some, some are chosen to select and follow different rabbis, and others just go on to their own, their own way and their own livelihood. And that was Jesus' story. Except then, at 30 years old, he begins to teach. And this was a, a boy that they watched grow up, now becomes a man that starts challenging everything about what they had believed. And they, he would say, you've been taught this, but I'm telling you 
live this way. And, and you've understood the scriptures one way, but let me give you another perspective. And then all of a sudden, it turns out that people start claiming that he was God's son. And in fact, the only way to perfectly please God was to follow Jesus. Now, this would have been an extremely difficult thing for people to understand. Like, no, we watched you grow up. You're not God's son. You're Mary's son. You're not even a rabbi. You are a fisherman. And how can you challenge what we believe? This fall, we're going through this series called The Great Adventure, and we're calling us as a church to join in the adventure of serving God and finding out how we can participate in really what was the craziness of Jesus' mission, saying, I've got a message that goes beyond what you can just read about in the scriptures. I've got life that I can offer to you, but you've got to look at it a different way. And as we begin this journey, we really want to ask, why is Jesus so significant to the story? Most people that you'll speak with in our day and age, they're good with God. They're, they're like, yeah, there is a God. I have some kind of concept that, that God exists. That there, Even, even as, we, as we've studied in the different sciences, they're saying, you know, it really doesn't make sense that, that the earth and human body functions the way that they do without an intelligent design. There has to be some kind of creator. And even most people would say, you know, the church has had its issues, and I'm not always engaged in church, but there's a lot of good that's associated with church and associated with God. There was a halo study that it came out of the States. It was just done in the GTA, and it was a quantitative approach to how church congregations positively impact their local communities and local economies. So they studied seven things in this, in, in this halo study. They, they wanted to see how much space, open space for community meetings did the church add, how much direct spending did the church spend on community initiatives, what educational programs were being offered free of charge in, the, in those communities, the magnet effect, how many, how many people were brought together because of church and would stay because there was a positive church, individual impact, so we're looking at um, counseling going on, we're looking at marriages, funerals, celebrations, those kinds of things where, where people, people's lives were individually impacted in positive ways because of the church. Community development, we've got our different community events that we would do. And then social and capital care, the ongoing care for people. So they did this study from the fall of 2015 through spring 2016, so only about eight months. And they only focused on 10 larger congregations right in Toronto proper. And data was collected through interviews and self-reporting. Any guesses what the cumulative estimated economic impact of 10 churches in eight months is? No guesses. That's a hard number to put a number on, right? Because we're like, we have no idea. $45 million was the, number of, uh, was the number that was attributed to the benefit of what the church does in the community. And that was just 10 churches. And this study's being presented going, we need to make spaces for our church because the church does good. And most people would say, we have a concept, we're good with God, pretty well we're good with church, being in our community, doing some good things. Now Jesus, that's a different story. You're talking about a guy who even the Jews, even the Christians admit was born in a human way. You're talking about a guy that made every religious Jew in that, or the majority of religious Jews in his day and age, mad enough to have him killed for blasphemy. In Jesus' name, if you go back through history, we've had horrible things happen. Two million people died in the Crusades as, as, the, as the armies would go out demolishing any nation that claimed to be unchristian. 
In his name, we've seen abuse. We've seen theft happen. The hands of church leaders claiming because they have the inside story of how to please God. We see families split. We see millions of dollars that are given to large churches and sometimes questioned about how come church has that much money, all because people say there is something significant that is found in the name and presence of Jesus. We like the church. We know that some part of there's some good concept of God, but Jesus becomes very divisive. Well, this fall, we're tracking alongside um, our alpha groups that are going on, and uh, the alpha group, that the, the alpha course was based out of the UK, and for all of, our, all of our services, they've gone to the streets and they've asked these questions that we're going to be dealing with, and this morning, we're asking about why Jesus and why did Jesus have to die, so why don't we watch the video about how people responded. That's just a slide, there's an actual video too. <laughs> There may or may not be a video. We're not going to watch the video this morning. Let's go with that. We'll give give them five more seconds. Not in the Dropbox. No. No. It's all right. All right. So they went to the streets. They asked, uh, they asked the question about why, why did Jesus have to die? And, they, and there, were, there were responses like, well, I know that Jesus sacrificed. They, he was supposed to sacrifice his life for someone. Um, I think he was, it was something about saving from our sins. Uh, oh, we do have the video. Uh, um, I have no idea. Why did Jesus die? Jesus, I should really know this. Big question for early in the morning, isn't it? Jesus died for people, other people. He's saving us. Was it Pontius Pilate probably got a bit jealous of Jesus getting all the birds, so... We all die. People die for different reasons. Uh, to, well, it, it, I think it was supposed to be like for our sins, wasn't it? Jesus died because people didn't agree with him. Well, probably fear is why he died more than anything else. Didn't he like sacrifice himself on the cross? So, it's his choice. Jesus died because of people's beliefs. That's up for discussion. <laughs> Everybody dies. No one lives forever. A whole random amount of responses there. But what we want to do this morning is spend 15 minutes, and thank you to our tech team for figuring that one out. Uh, We want to spend 15 minutes this morning re-examining what does the death of this Israeli carpenter turned Bible teacher that led to a revolt, what does he have to do with you, and and why does that become so central to the story and the reason why we gather today? So if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Peter, it's towards the back of the Bible, and uh, it, I believe the, the notes will also be, if you have the Portico app, you can follow along there. But we're going to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 24 as our key text this morning. And we'll, 
we'll study out of there. But 1 Peter 2 and 24 says this, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And by his wounds, you are healed. So Lord, we just pause for a moment and we ask that this morning you would give us some insight into what becomes so central to tying it right back to you. And Jesus, I thank you that uh, when we begin to ask these questions, you have answers for us and and your spirit helps us to understand these things. So um, please do, as we open ourselves up, begin to answer some questions for those who are wrestling through these issues. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if we broke it down into what makes God happy, if you, were th- if you had to think about what is it that truly pleases God, most of us can come up with some kind of argument that would incorporate the thought of if I'm a good person, if I do good things, that makes God happy. And that's your first fill in the blank this morning, that I'm a good person, something to do with our conduct makes God happy. And we, there's this ideology that we have, if I do enough God thing, good things, God will be pleased with my life. And the problem with that argument and, that, uh, that, and tying that and attributing that to God is that good is totally subjective. It's completely cultural. What I understand to be good in Canada in 2017 is very different than what would have understood to be good in Canada in 1917 and is different than what is understood to be good in China and is different than what is understood to be good in India and into South America and into Africa. If you go all over the world, we will, in all different ages, we'll always say, well, well this is good. Is, is good going to war to keep peace? Or is good pacifism and we should never keep peace? Well, different people would say, well, this is good and this is right. So how, if two people are doing the exact opposite thing, how are they pleasing God? In some people, they would say, well, good is remaining fully covered and not, not showing any part of our body. Some people would say, good is going to a priest and having confessionals and making sure you confess your sins to another person. And what we end up doing, we've talked about this before, we have this, we have this line of good works and that we get going with. And we've got, where would we fall? And there's our happy son. This is like the, the line where we, we want to get to. And so we would, we would pick someone. We'd say like, well, Pastor Heather, she's a, she's a pretty good person. Would anybody agree? She's, some people say she's a pretty good person. Yeah, okay. We've got, we've got, we've got a little bit. So we're going to put it. She's pretty high up on this. We're going to put, we're going to put Heather right here. Eight out of 10. Okay. Uh, we're going to put her at an eight right here. There's, she's not perfect, but, but she's an eight. But but then you go to somebody like um, I don't know if you remember I don't know if you remember the story about Malala Yousafzai. She was the the teenager advocate from Pakistan who um, she she was uh, advocating for uh, rights of education for girls and how she, she was being denied. And she goes all around around the world teaching and advocating for women's rights and education for kids. And and uh, she won the Nobel Peace Prize. Where does she fit on that line? She's probably more than an eight, right? Like like she's she's over. She's a <laughs> so we we have to put her up 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 here. Malala is more more like up up here. Like she's clearly beyond Pastor Heather. But then, <laughs> but then, then we would look at somebody like like well, what about what about our politicians? What about our politicians? What do we think of what do we think of Kathleen Wynne? Like, what do we think? She has all kinds of lovely uh, things that we we love our politicians, right? They. But <laughs> no, they're going down low. They're below pastor. Oh, okay. 
I hope she's not listening right now, but we're going we're gonna to put her below. She's a 7.5, we're just going to say. <laughs> but the problem, with this, the problem with this line is this, Romans 3 and 23. Let's put the verse up on the screen. Here's what the Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And short, this is, this is the line. This is God. You know what God's standard is? God's standard is perfection. So anyone that falls short of this line doesn't qualify for what God's want, regardless if you're down here where we would put our politicians or somewhere in the middle or somewhere towards the top. We've talked about that, that line before. We all, there's truth in all of us. The truth is there's good in all of us and there's bad in all of us. And we treat good works, it's kind of like a cologne. When, we're, when we feel like we're going to meet God, we're like, I better do some good works. I'm going to spray on a little Armani. And, and nobody, nobody will smell the bad coming out of me because I've done the good works. I went and I volunteered. I gave some money. But the scent of your sin pushes through. God smells you coming. Trust me. He, he, knows, he knows what's happening. He knows who we are. And we live in this comparative world that says, I'm better than you, but I'm not as good as her. And that, does that make me enough to be a good person? And that folks, is religion. And that is the religion that Jesus came to destroy. His teaching was that good, being good is not established by acting good. In fact, somebody once came to him and they said, good teacher, and he stopped them right there. And he said, ho, ho, why do you call me good? Nobody is good except, except for God. And he was challenging him. He's saying, are you calling me God? Or are you calling me good because you've seen me do a lot of good works? Or because I'm doing some good teaching? And his whole teaching was the only good, the only actual perfection is found in God. Now, the next logical question should be for you. Why does Jesus get to make that kind of standard? If we, if we set aside our bias, aren't humans really able to determine what is good, which is their second fill in a blank? Who gets to decide what sin is? Who gets to decide what perfection is? And that comes down to our choices. There's, there's common acceptance in the Western world, anyway, that's called moral relativism. And, and morality is based where you live, what your gender is, what your beliefs are. And it says, what's right for you in your situation may not be right for another person. And a female in Canada, if we, attribute, if we go by moral relativism, a female in Canada cannot speak to what is right for a male in the Middle East. And the thing is, is that sin as God defines it cannot exist in the world of moral relativism because sin refers to what God determines as across the board an act of right or wrong against him or for him. So if, if, if this is true, that God says there's a line and nobody meets it and sin is sin, then you can't say, well, what's right for you isn't right for me. That's, that's the concept of sin. And our world wants to blur lines and say, I can decide for myself what is sin and what isn't, thank you very much, because you don't know the world I live in, you don't know my history, you don't know what's going on inside of me. And then it comes to things like sexuality and, and gender, and the Bible defines it one way, and we say, well, we've learned a lot over the last few years, and we learned that there's a lot of people that are born and grow up, and they don't feel the way that the Bible describes what is honoring with their sexuality. So we want to be, we, we want to be accepting, we want to be understanding, we want to help these people, uh, we want to help all people find their place with God. So maybe the Bible is a little short-sighted on what it says in terms of our sexuality and gender. 
And then we look at things like money and generosity, and we say, you know, there was some systems that are in place within the Bible about how I'm supposed to treat my money, but you don't really know where I live, you don't know what my bills are, and really I own my money, and whatever I give to God is really a gift. Where the Bible talks definitely about the things that we own, that we are stewards, and that God owns it all. It comes to things like forgiveness, and we say, well, is everybody deserving to be forgiven, or are there some people who do some things that are just so terrible that we really can't forgive them? We come to racial issues. I don't know, I mean, how much you've been following what's been happening in the States over the last bunch, but even, even this past week, there was a, a thing at a baseball game where somebody put a flag over the outfield wall, and it said, um, race, racism is, as, um, is uh, the same as Americanism. As ba- oh, yeah, racism is as American as baseball was hanging over the outfield, uh, over the outfield seats, and those people were kicked out. But, but people saying, you don't understand where we've come from, and, and I'm allowed to feel the way I want to feel, and if somebody gives credibility to my voice, then it must be right. It's moral relativism. What's right for me may not be right for you, but you have to accept me because that's who I am and that's how I feel. And listen, we will all struggle in different areas. Some of us may feel, I don't struggle in the areas you've identified. We will all struggle with this issue of relativism. And, and our instincts, our natural feelings will go against what the teachings of the Bible say. And we'll say, how can what I feel be wrong? How can something that everybody else, or there's a large group of people, how come if a large group of people accept it to be right, then how can you call it sinful? Jesus doesn't get the final say in my life. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says this, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Now, that's not a very hope-filled verse (laughs) this morning. No one's righteous, no one does right. But when we understand this from a biblical perspective, it says that you and I, we don't need to feel guilt because of our sin, because we come by it naturally. When sin entered the world, we became sinful people, and we have natural instincts that go against how God designed it for us. We don't need to feel guilty if we've accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We don't need to feel guilty, but we should never be satisfied to remain in our sin. Two things at the same time. God isn't here to heap on guilt and saying, do enough good works, you're guilty, you're wrong. No, God says, I know you're broken. There's nobody All have sinned, we've all fallen short, and we can't just accept our sin. We all have it, but it doesn't make us bad people. It separates us from God because his standard is perfection. So actually what happens is all the numbers get erased. In this, in understanding Jesus, there are no numbers. Everybody's right here, doesn't matter where we are, we're all below the line of perfection. It doesn't matter how good we try to be, and it doesn't matter what our struggle is, it doesn't matter what our feeling is, we're all guilty and then made righteous through Jesus, which is why he becomes so central to the story. It's not a religion that he has set up. It's saying it's not about any of that. And different generations and different cultures will decide which sin is worse on the sin chain, and they will exclude different people from their gatherings together because they've broken those areas. I don't know... Do you remember um, when I, I, first came, I first came to a church when I was six or seven years old, and, and my mom brought me out to this, this church, and there was, at the time, the, the pastor was really 
preaching about we should net like the the stores had just opened for shopping on Sunday. Do you remember remember when uh, if you're old enough you remember that um, the stores all opened and and people were taking shifts on Sundays and people were working on Sundays and they were saying we as Christians we can never take a shift on a Sunday because that's Sabbath and that's what God has set aside. Now, I haven't heard a sermon about not taking a shift on a Sunday in about 15 years. But in that time, to be good was you could never work on a Sunday. And then there was this discussion about when, well, when relationships break down and people get divorced and people want to get remarried, that goes against what the Bible talked about and, and you can't be a Christ follower and have a divorce and be remarried. It just, it just, it just can't happen. We're saying this is outside of God's understanding. We don't hear that <laughs> talked about anymore. We're, we're starting to understand we are just people who have all have hurt and all have brokenness and are bringing our brokenness to Jesus. And we have a whole bunch of hot-button issues right now where we're saying, well, this person could never come to Christ because of some of the stuff that they're dealing with and some of the mindsets that they have. And the standard is pass-fail, perfect or not. We've all failed. And there are two kinds of people listening to this talk. People who have been trying so hard to figure out how to please God, and the message for you this morning is just stop trying to please God. (laughs) You don't have to do anything this morning to please God. Come as you are, who you are, with all the good and all the bad, and receive grace this morning. That's why Jesus is so central to the story. He said, we read that in, in, in 1 Peter, is that he came, he became our sin, He took it upon us, and we receive righteousness through him. And then there's people this morning that, you know, this isn't groundbreaking news to you, but you've forgotten that the righteousness that you've been trying to live out doesn't add up in God's kingdom. And we need to lose our pride in that this morning. The longer we serve God, I hope the more you will think and act and respond in a biblical way. It should be the more that I understand Jesus, the more I try and be like him, the more I put effort into acting and loving and, and, and caring. But it doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me more deserving. It just makes me look a little bit more like Jesus. But I'm still well below the line, needing his forgiveness and all being made equal. The pra- there's a practical step for all of us. We need to lay down our guilt of not being good enough, or lay down our pride of, not f- of feeling like we are good enough. The question this morning was, why is Jesus so focal to this adventure? God loved us so much that he made it so easy for us to join him on the journey, and he was going to deal with the conditions of our souls, which is our third point this morning, is what does Jesus have to do with me, which is the condition question. I can't tell you about God without the narrative of Jesus. Because Jesus was fully God, came down, appearing 100% human, just like one of us. He was good. He had no sin. There was no separation between him and God. And he chose to die on our behalf. So the litany of sins that separate me from God no longer count in God's eyes. The condition of my soul is dealt with as I align myself with Jesus. A couple of verses we want to focus on is Isaiah 53 and 4 to 6. The fact is, it was our pains he carried. It was our disfigurements that he took on. John 8 and 36 says this, So if the Son, which is Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I love our church when we get together and meet. And this, this, this fall, I'm not inviting people to journey with our church. 
although I think it's a great place. I think, I think this is a wonderful place to come and worship and connect with other people. I'm not inviting people to journey with our church because our church is good, but it's not good like that. <laughs> our church is still broken. And one of the things I love to do is help people. And counseling is one of the, one of the things I really love to do to, if people are going through a challenge is to sit with them and figure things out. And, and that's why we're going to do our wellness night. We're going to have people come and they're going to have a chance to talk with doctors and therapists and just join. And we're saying we're going to do something well for our community. And we can do a whole lot of good works and good things. And I really think we can help people journey through some of their challenges. But none of that makes a difference for their souls. We can do good and we can dream good, but the only way to be good is through accepting Jesus. And the, and the adventure we're talking about this fall is inviting us as a church, you and I, to the scary place of talking to friends, not about your good church and not about just the good wellness night. No, it's talking to people about the Jesus that has changed your life. And that's a scary thing <laughs> because we're good with God and we're good with church and we're good with a measure of being a good person. But sharing the love of Jesus, the transformational work, that's a scary thing to start talking about. And we're inviting us to risk our faith beyond what we can do for ourselves and what only Jesus can do for us. And here's the amazing thing about this challenge. There is no right time to get involved. Because <laughs> you know when the right time... To get, the right time is about us. The right time is about when I choose to make space, when... The, Jesus is, there is no wrong time for people to experience transformational love that loves them as they are, that, has, that deals with the separation between a holy God and secures their eternity. They're never not ready to hear that message. There, there, there's, there's never enough soccer games and, and extra shifts that, that, that say, I can't be involved in sharing that message. We have to find the spaces, but there's never a wrong time. In fact, there's never even an answer that says, I'm not holy enough, I don't know enough to share this news. Because all of these thoughts are human thoughts. And all of these thoughts are along this line somewhere. The religious line of, how can I do it in a program? How can I do it in, in my space? The invitation is to receive goodness and receive God's purposes in our lives. I'm going to invite our, our team to come back. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're actually going to, um, we're going to end with communion. So I'm going to invite our ushers to begin to distribute communion. And commun anyone that's, that's here, that the only stipulation we have, if you want to participate in communion this morning, is that you would say, yes, I believe in Jesus. That's the only stipulation. We, we say this is a, a, an act of faith that, that we do, that symbolizes the act where Jesus got his friends together and, and said, I want to share with you what I've been teaching about. I want to share with you what I've really been pushing you towards. This is an act of remembrance that we're going to, if you've never taken communion with us before, this, it's Welch's grape juice and matzah bread we got from Walmart. Like This isn't, this isn't an extra spiritual thing. But Jesus brought his friends together at a Passover meal broken friends. The disciples were broken people who were trying to be good. They, really, they, they, were, they were trying to uphold the religious laws of the Jews. They were trying to please God and they were failing at it all along the way. And Jesus was saying, you don't understand what I'm about to do for you. 
We see that in John 13 and 7. His words were, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. And he wanted everybody to know that nobody has to live right to come to God. And that we as a church, we, own, we function our best when we stop pretending that the better versions of ourselves get us closer to God. There are no stages of equal. Equal means the same. So this morning, as a collection of broken people, people looking towards to get to know God more, we need to remember a verse that comes out of John as we've been looking at. John 13 and 7 says, Someday you'll understand. And then here's what Jesus said to his followers at that Last Supper. Remember this verse? For God so loved this world <laughs> that he gave his son Jesus that whoever would believe in him will receive eternal life. The act we remember today is Jesus sitting around that table looking at his friends. He looked into their eyes and said, I want to do something transformational for you. And today we get it, even though they didn't get it then, that our hope is firmly centered on Jesus and what he did for us. And he looked at his friends and he said, take that piece of bread. That They, they would have done this Passover meal every year of their life. If they were 30 or 40, they would have done this for 40 years. And they would have had the piece of bread. And he said, so take this bread that was a symbol of when God delivered the Jews in, um, out of Egypt into Israel. And he said, this is a symbol of my body that's actually going to be your ultimate deliverance. And then he said, and take that glass and it's going to represent my blood that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for you so that anybody that would ever believe this would have that same opportunity to receive forgiveness for their sins. And in a moment when we take that, I want us to remember we're all equal and we're all called to the same mission to go and share this same hope and truth with other people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. As we get on this journey this fall, I thank you that this is the truth that we have to share with other people. We're not calling them to a religion. We're not calling them to a church. We're, we're calling them to being made whole and being made perfect with you, Lord. And as we hold these, these elements in our hands, God, I pray right now that we would, pray right now we would understand how much you love us. We would understand how much this has just been made for us, been done for us. And as we take them again in a moment, I pray we, we would remember that it was by our faith in you that you just made us good and nothing that would have been held against us is being counted against us. Father, I pray that we have opportunities this fall to range into scary places, places that would challenge us to share that faith with other people, share this message with other people, Lord, that regardless of who they are, where they come from, that you have something for them, Lord. You have, you have peace for them, Lord. God, thank you for the freedom that we experience today and the opportunity to take communion together, Lord. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So together, would you take the piece of bread and let's take his body broken for us in remembrance of him. And then together, would you take the glass of juice and remember his blood that was shed for us.
So before you go, I want to pray one more time. And if this is a brand new thought and a brand new message for you today, please talk to us after the service. We'd love to help you understand it on another level. And we have a packet back there. There's a corner that says, I said yes. And there's a little package that helps explain this more. And if this wasn't new for you, here's my challenge. Here's, here's my question. Who is the person in your life that needs to know this? The reason you came to church this morning was to be reminded that this is a free gift that everybody can receive. There is, there is no culture, there is no person, there is, there is nothing that separates that is more ready to hear this message. And there is a person in your life that needs to know this. And we get complacent sometimes going, you know what I do is my, for my faith, I come to church. And I, I participate in a growth group. And we need to do these things. We, we need to come. We need to worship. We need to be in the growth group. We need to, ser- we need to do all these things because it's how Jesus and, 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 and the scriptures tie, uh, lay out how we should live. But there is nothing more important that we do with our faith than to go and share that with somebody else. That's the adventure we're calling everyone to this fall is who is the person that needs to know this? Who needs to be sitting beside you next Sunday? Who needs to be at your growth group with you? Or maybe they're not even ready to come to church, and that's okay, because like I said, we're not inviting people to, we're inviting people to know Jesus. So who is the person, and what is the way that you're going to share this message of hope with somebody brand new, that God has strategically positioned in your life, that they live on your street, they work beside, we heard the story last Sunday, she took a random job at a department store, and all of a sudden the lady working beside her just needed to know who Jesus was. And based on her faith and background, she had no business receiving this message. But that's what Jesus does when you open yourself up to that adventure. So I want to pray. And just listen for the voice of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, we trust that you have somebody in our lives that doesn't know you and needs to know you. And that we forgive us that we have overlooked the amazing truth that we can share with the people that are around us, Lord. God, we, we say it's scary sometimes because this world rejects the, the message of you. They're fine that we go to church. They don't want to hear about you. And Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray for boldness in people's lives this week, that not to come in, in a conflictive, confrontive way, but to share truth and hope to people that don't know that there is truth and hope. Lord, I pray that you give us quiet spaces that we can have these conversations. You give us the right strategic words. God, I pray against every doubt that we would have that we don't know enough or, or, or this person has already, it's already tried with this person and they've already said no. God, give us the boldness. Give us the peace. And Lord, right now, show us, show us a person that just needs to know you. God, for our students that walk down their high school hallways, down their public school hallways, you have somebody, Lord, that doesn't know you. Show them right now. Lord, show us somebody that we share the train with, that we have an hour a day with back and forth. Show us somebody that is on our street that is going to come to our small group because, because you're drawing them with your spirit through us. And God, help us only to share hope, nothing else, just your love and life. Thank you, Jesus, and we ask this all in your name. Amen.